again, this is uh, Brother Mike Hazelwood, retired pastor from Mammoth Baptist Church down in Meeker. So if you guys would, welcome him and tell him thank you. We can clap in church, just so you know. Yeah, we thank you. Are you a mover? Do I need to get... I just I need, need, I just need the pulpit. <laughs> People move a little bit more. Yeah. Well, it's good to be with you all today. I will tell you that uh, Wednesday night I went to speak at Sharon Baptist Church at Tecumseh where Clint Dawkins is at, and I noticed in their bulletin it said that the evening service began at 7 and ended at 8. And I figured they must have done that because of Clint, uh, how he loves to talk. Um... Uh, but I'm, I, I always told my people, you know, at Mammoth, the service began at 10.50, but it didn't say when it ended. And I'm glad that y'all don't even have a time when it starts or ends. So uh, it's good to be with you today. I was the pastor at Mammoth for 15 years, and many of you probably uh, realize how God blessed our church during that time. Boy, I'm getting a lot of feedback. I don't know if that's normal, but uh, uh, several years ago with our association, I had the chance to make a trip to Canada, up to Edmonton, Canada, who we were partnering with, and while I was up there, I met a guy that was a missionary. He, uh, he worked at the local college there in Edmonton, Canada, and one of the things he told us about was that he had met with a student, and uh, this he invited him to come to the uh, luncheon that they were having for the students to get acquainted and uh, the, the young man said well I don't believe in God and the missionary said well tell me about the God you don't believe in because I might not believe in him either and so you know I think that's a lot of the problem and the disconnect we have with people today in the world when we're trying to talk to them about Jesus and the God of the Bible is they don't know who we're talking about. They, they know a few things, but a lot of people think God is mad at them. <laughs> That's far from the truth. God's not mad at you. Uh, there might come a day when you might feel like God's mad at you if you don't accept him as your Lord and Savior. But, uh, I mean, the Bible tells us God is love, Right? And God loves each and every person that's here today. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up to the 15th chapter of the book of Luke. Because Jesus also had to deal with people that did not really understand who God was or what God was about. In Luke 15 chapter 1... Or verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, you might not think that would be something that would be something to complain about, but uh, the Pharisees did because they were the self-righteous appointed uh, guardians of the day. The Pharisees were very upset with Jesus because he was associating with the wrong crowd. 
And I don't know, you might have told your kids, don't, don't hang out with that group of kids because they're the wrong kids. But Jesus was associating with tax collectors. And you have to understand, in, in this day and age, who the tax collectors were. They were Jews who had become traitors to their own people and were collecting taxes for the Roman government. And then whatever they collected, collected over what... Whatever they collected over what the... Uh, government wanted wow do we need to do something different okay uh, what, whatever they collected above and beyond that they uh, okay they put in their own pocket so they were kind of like the Jewish mafia of their day going out and extorting money from the public also uh, they just drew more people around them who were not the best sort of people. And so Jesus was associating with these tax collectors and it says sinners who, which we find out later on included uh, prostitutes and other undesirable people. And Jesus was being a friend of these people. He welcomed them. He ate with them. And we're told in chapter 5 of this same book, Jesus told the, them and the Pharisees, he said, you know, this, the well people, those who are well don't need a doctor. It's the people that are sick that need a doctor. Well, today, in the first verse there, Jesus is hanging out with these people and the Pharisees get upset. They, are, they cannot believe that Jesus claims to be from God and yet is hanging out with sinners. And I don't know about you, but I, I always tell people, you know, they'll say, well, I have one friend of mine, he says, you may not want to hang out with me because I'm, I'm, I don't always do what's right. And I said, well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. I have no problem being a friend of sinners. So, you know, y'all can laugh if you want. Don't you? You know, where, where, where did uh, Gary go? There you are. Are you? Were you a Baptist all your life, or got some Pentecostal in there? Oh, okay. I don't know. But uh, I tell you, uh, I want you. I want these young people to know it's okay to be happy and ex excited and have joy in church. Worshiping God doesn't mean you have to be dead or have no emotion. God made us emotional people, didn't he? I would imagine yesterday afternoon, if you were watching that game that was on, you got emotional, especially right there at the end when we went ahead by a touchdown and, you know, hey... So what was the problem with the Pharisees? Well, the problem was they didn't really know God and they didn't know how, who, who he was or how he operated. And so Jesus in this chapter 15 tells three parables to illustrate who God is and how God feels about sinners. 
The first parable he told was about a man that had a hundred sheep. One of them went, went astray, it got lost, and the, the guy left the 99 and went after the one. And when he found him, he threw him on his shoulder, carried him home. He, he was rejoicing. He was praising God. He called his friends and neighbors together and he said, Hey, come over. Let's have a party and celebrate. I found my lost sheep. Now, I don't know if the lost sheep was the what they celebrated with or not, you know. But uh, if he was, I felt sorry for that sheep. But teach him not to go astray again, right? All right. So, but, but the statement that Jesus said is there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to repent. The second parable he tells is about a lady that had 10 silver coins. She lost one of them. So she swept her house. She searched diligently until she found that coin that was valuable. And then Jesus again said, and she called her friends, her neighbors together and said, Hey, come rejoice with me. I found my coin that was lost. And Jesus then said, there's, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. We need to have joy when sinners come to church. We need to have sinners when, we need, we need to have joy when sinners get saved. We need to have joy when God is at work in the lives of sinners and he's using us as his people to connect and minister and draw sinners into the family of God. Because I'm going to tell you something, and I know this is true. There's not one person here who didn't start out as a sinner. And the only thing that has changed, if you have changed, is that you got saved by the grace of God and your sins were forgiven and now God calls you his child. You didn't do that. He did it. So we're going to come to verse 11, which is really where I want us to focus today. This has all been the introduction, so. It's a parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But I say it's the tale of two lost sons. Because he did, he did have two sons and they were both lost. They just got lost in different ways in different places. Well, as we read the story, the younger of the two sons, verse 12, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. The older son got two-thirds, the younger son got one-third. The younger son quickly converted his part of the estate to cash because he didn't want to stay there. You know, if, if part of his estate was land or animals or anything like that, he couldn't spend that. So he converted it to cash. That's what it says there. He gathered everything together. That's, that, that means he, that's what he did. And then he left. He went to a far country. Now you need to understand when he went to his father and asked him for his inheritance, what he was asking. You see, you don't inherit something normally until your father or your parents die. 
so what he was really saying to his, his father was, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could get what you're going to give me. And I don't want to wait till you die, so just go ahead and give it to me now. He said, I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want to be part of this family. I don't want to be part of this enterprise. Just give me what I'm owed and I'm getting out of here. This was a slap in the face to this Jewish father. This son was disrespectful. He was selfish. And you know, under the Jewish law, a father was allowed to discipline and even kill his son for disrespect. But instead, the father didn't do that. The father gave him his share of the inheritance. And then he went far away. Far away from critical eyes and judgmental people. Far away where he could do what he wanted to do and nobody that he knew would have anything to do with it. And so he left his father. He went to this far country. And in verse 13 it says that he spent everything he had. I like the King James. It says on riotous living. You know what that means? He was having a party. He took all that money and he went and he just started having a big old party. Day after day after day. He, he was the original party animal. But then he spent all he had. And the thing you find out when you're throwing a big party like that is when you run out of money... You run out of friends. Because the friends are just there for the party. And when you're done, they're done. It says that he spent all he had and there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want or need. You know, one of the big lies of Satan is that you can live your life without God and be happy forever. My son, he was born into the home of a Baptist preacher. But when he hit his teenage years, he decided he wanted to do his own thing. Much like the, this young son. One time he and I were having a conversation. He told me, you know, Dad, I think I can live life the way I want to live my life and God will bless me. He said, I'm going to prove that I, that can happen. Well, how many of you think that happened? <laughs> no. After serving two and a half years in prison, getting off drugs, he had finally gotten his heart right with God. When I went to Mammoth Baptist Church, he was doing math, he was selling math, he was making math. And I stood in the pulpit at our church and I said, would you pray with me for my son? Pray that one day he will come and stand in this pulpit and share with you how God changed his life. My son was about as far away from God as a person could get. He was in a far country. But several years later, 
he came and stood in that pulpit after getting out of prison and told the congregation how God had changed his life. It's a funny story, you know, he he had lost everything. His, his wife had kicked him out. The family didn't want anything to do with him. He he'd lost his job. He's, he's in a motel and he's, he, he's, he's saying, God, I am so miserable. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. You got to do something, God. And all of a sudden, there was a knock at the hotel door. It was the police. They'd had a warrant out for his arrest for six months and they knew where he lived, but they never served it. But then when he went to the hotel that night when he said, God, you got to do something, they showed up. Things don't happen by coincidence, people. God's in charge of everything that's going on in your life. You can make good decisions, bad decisions. It doesn't matter. God's still in charge. And this young man in this parable found out that when it came to the end, end of himself and he needed help, God was there. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. It, it doesn't last. And many of you could probably testify that you've, you've experienced that yourself. So he began to be in want. There's an old saying that sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. And it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And that's the way it is with sin. But thank God for the consequences of sin. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But, but if you've experienced some consequences of, of sin, you need to thank God for that. Because the consequences of sin is what causes us to cry out to God. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 19 it says your own wickedness will correct you. That's what that's talking about. The consequences of sin causes us to turn to God and do it his way. The results of our rebellion often brings us to the end of ourselves and opens our heart to God's love. So this son tried to figure his own way out of the mess he was in. Here I am, I'm in a far country, I'm broke, I don't have nothing, there's a famine going on, I've, I'm hungry. So he hires himself out to one of the Gentiles living in that area and eventually he finds himself slopping the hogs. That's what we call it. Anybody ever slopped hogs in here? A few of you. You know, I notice it's mostly older people that raise their hand, not young people. Well, the hogs for the Jews, were they were unclean animals. They, he was causing himself to be shamed by this job that he had. And it's right there in the midst of that pig pen. That he comes to himself, the Bible says. Have you ever come to yourself? It means you wake up and realize, hey, I'm not in charge. I can't, I can't run my life and do everything I want to do and expect to be blessed unless I line my life up with God. 
And at that moment, the son sees himself for the fool he is, and he sees his father as his father really was, and the son makes a decision to go home. He thinks to himself, my servants, the the servants at my father's house, they got it better off than I do. My father not only takes care of them, they have more than they need. He said, I'd be better off to go home and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Make me like one of your servants. I don't deserve to be your son, just make me a servant. You know, without Jesus, we become slaves to our sinful nature and our fleshly desires. The greatest discovery you'll ever make in life was when you realize that God is good and that He loves you and He wants to bless you. The greatest discovery this son made was that his father loved him. So the son headed home. You can just imagine what it's like the father's house maybe up on a hill the winding road leading up to that house and and the father is standing on the front porch and he sees a, a figure in the, way in the distance it's just at first it's just a speck and then it get, gets a little closer and a little bigger that speck until finally he recognizes that's my son coming home Does the father stand there with a stern look on his face, arms folded, tapping his toe or wagging his finger? No. What does he do, the Bible says? He gathers up his cloak. (laughs) Because you can't run when your cloak's down around your feet. You'll trip. But he gathered it up and tucked it into his belt. And then he ran... The word there means sprinted. He ran as fast as he could to his son and wrapped him up in his arms and embraced him and loved him. When he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's verse 20. To the Pharisees who were hearing all of this, Jesus trying to demonstrate to them what God's love is like for them, what what God's love is like for all sinners, this was more shame. Jewish men didn't run. Plus they weren't supposed to show their ankles or or their lower extremities. It was a shame for that to happen. This was the kind of rules that the Pharisees had. You don't ever run. You don't ever show weakness. You don't ever cry in public, you know. You might have heard that, boys don't cry, right? Men don't cry. Well, I'm 68 years old. I want you to know, sometimes I cry. Sometimes I I cry because I'm sad, but most of the time if I'm crying... It's because I'm overjoyed and I just say I get so full of God that it runs out my eyeballs. But to the Pharisees, this story that Jesus was telling, they could not even, they could not even believe that that a man, a Jewish man would do this. A, A father who had been disrespected by his son, who had been abandoned by his son, 
And now this son is returning in disgrace and shame. And the father runs to him and embraces him and kisses him. And that's not all he does. The son, he had been rehearsing all the way home what he was going to say to his dad. He had been going over it and over it and over it. And he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. The father didn't hear that. He didn't even listen. He didn't even pay attention. He, he told one of his servants, Hey, go get the robe. Can you imagine here is his son coming from the pig pen, slopping hogs, He's probably dirty. He probably smells. Or as we would say, he stinks. Right? He's, he's covered in the dust of the road. And his father says, bring out the robe and put it on him. Get the ring and put it on his finger. Get the shoes and put them on his feet. And they began to celebrate. Because he said, this son of mine was lost. And now he's found. This son of mine was dead, but now he's alive again. And they started having a party. The robe, it meant to the son, you're part of my family. This wasn't just any old robe, folks. This was a very special robe. That was usually only worn by the father. But it signified dignity and family the Bible says we're going to be clothed in the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ when we stand before God and then the rings symbolized the authority it was used as a seal on important documents and the shoes meant responsibility you see slaves didn't wear shoes only Family members had shoes. And then he was saying, you're part of the family and you're going to have responsibilities now. That's the way God feels about sinners. God wants sinners to come home so he can forgive their sins, love them, and make them part of his family. What a, what a wonderful story that is, right? What a wonderful picture that is. But that's, that's not the end of this parable. Look at verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked them, What's going on? And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and because he has been received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And the brother was angry. And would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, I these many years I, you might circle that, have been serving you. I, circle that, <laughs> never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me, circle that, a young goat, that I, circle that, might make merry with my friends 
you get the idea that the older brothers, it's all about me. It's all about I. But as soon as this son of yours came home, this younger brother that had devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You talk about a, an older brother who was angry, resentful, selfish, jealous, and dissatisfied with his life. You see, there really wasn't much difference between the younger brother and the older brother. The younger brother left because he was selfish, he was dissatisfied, he was resentful. But the older brother stayed home and was, he was the same way. You don't have to go into a far country to be far from God. You can be right in the middle of church every week and your heart still be far from God. So I wish I could tell you that after the father shared what he shared with the son, you know, he said, it's, it's just right, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He said, my son was lost, but now I found him. He said, it's, it's just right that we have a, have a party and celebrate this. You see, when, when that younger son left, according to Jewish tradition, the family would have had a funeral for him. They would have considered him dead because he had abandoned the family. But what the father saying was, he was dead to me, but now he's come back. He, he's, he's asked for forgiveness and I've had compassion on him and I've welcomed him back into the family. It's only right, son, that we celebrate. I, I wish I could tell you the older brother said, Dad, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm being small here. I need to be more gracious and I need to be more loving and I need to be more accepting. And I wish he had went, you, I could tell you that the older brother went in and celebrated with the father. But who do you think, who do you think the older brother represents in this story that Jesus is telling to the Pharisees? He represents the Pharisees with hard hearts and bad attitudes and it's not very much longer, just a few months from now, that these same Pharisees are going to take God, who, who is the father in this parable, but they're going to take God, the son, and nail him to a cross. And that's what the older brother's attitude, you know, at this point, what he probably did was picked up a log and hit his dad in the head with it and killed him, you know. Now that's not in the story, but that's, that's what that kind of attitude does because that's what these Pharisees did to Jesus. They hated him. See, the Bible says that. They hated him and they conspired how they could get rid of him, kill him. Hate doesn't lead you to do good things for people. Jealousy, selfishness, anger, bitterness, malice, wrath, all the things the Bible says that we as Christians should not allow to even have any room in our heart. Those things will lead us to destroy not only ourselves but others. 
Well, there's three truths that I want you to see from this parable. First of all, God loves everyone. And He wants everyone to be saved. Do you know somebody that's lost? Do you know somebody that their life is being messed up by sin? Do you know somebody who you really don't like to be around because of the way they talk or the way they act or the way they live their life? God loves those people. And God wants to use us as witnesses, as ministers of reconciliation to bring them to Christ. If you only go to people that you like and tell them about Jesus, you're no different than the Pharisees. Jesus said to love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Love those who despitefully use you. And those who say all manner of evil against you. Love them as Christ loved them. Now, folks, that's not easy to do. And without Jesus filling our hearts with his spirit, it's impossible. The natural human reaction is we like people that are like us and we don't like people that aren't like us. I always, I always thought if, if everybody in the church was just like me, what a wonderful church it would be. Right? You might think that same thing. If everybody, if everybody just looked at life the way I do and thought about things the way I do, man, it, this world would be wonderful. Well, you're not the standard by which God's going to judge everybody or everything. And you're not as perfect as you think you are. Nor am I. Truth number two. You can never sin so greatly that God will not forgive you. I've, I've counseled, talked to people as a pastor who would say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I said, yeah, I do. You're a liar a thief, a murderer. They're like, wait a minute. I never killed nobody. And I said, yeah, you did. Jesus died because of your sin. He was nailed to a cross because of you. So what, what, what do you got to tell me that's worse than those, you know? See, we're all in that boat. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And without, without the grace of God in our life, we're all lost. We're all condemned to hell without Jesus. And the only way to make it from here to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And even if you don't want to, even if you don't want to agree with me that you're a murderer because Jesus died in your place, Jesus said, "If you say to your brother in your heart, go to hell, you've committed murder in your heart.' That's what that word means, raka. 
It just means you're telling somebody to go to hell. I wish you'd burn up in hell. You know that to have that kind of feeling about somebody is like murder in your heart. So you, if you've thought about it, you've already done it. Just not the act. But you can never sin so greatly that God can't forgive you. He can forgive every sin that's ever been committed in your life. The third truth that I want you to know is that it is up to you to choose or reject Jesus Christ. You don't get to heaven because your mom and dad were Christians or your grandma and grandpa. You don't get to heaven because your name's on the roll at First Baptist Church in Wellston or wherever it might be. I love those, I love those uh, obituaries that say he was a member of the Baptist Church. If you, if, if you, if you understand church uh, organization, that's impossible. You can be a member of the Catholic Church, but you cannot be a member of the Baptist Church. There, there is no the Baptist Church. There are local congregations that are called Baptist Churches. But you can't be a member of the Baptist Church. You know, that's like saying, well, I, I th- one time I was baptized and said, I love those people when I talk to them and it's like, are you, have you ever been saved? And they're like, well, yeah, when I was a kid, I walked down the aisle and I got baptized. And my question is, did you get saved? Did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Were you born again? Did the Spirit come in? You see, that's the difference. When I was 11 years old, I went to a church over out at Bethel. And on, uh, we had a revival going on. We had an evangelist there. On Sunday morning, he came down to our little junior class and he said, how many of you want to go to heaven? You know, heaven's a wonderful place. I mean, streets of gold. Gates of pearl. Walls of jasper. It's, it's, it's no sickness, no death, no pain, no suffering, no tears. I mean, how many of y'all want to go to heaven, right? Just raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. And hell is a horrible place. It's, it's, it's eternal fire burning and gnashing of teeth, suffering and pain. How many of you want to go to hell? Anybody? Raise your hand. I mean, I've had idiots actually raise their hand before. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no hell. And the fool has said in his heart, you know, I'm looking forward to going to hell because that's where, where all my friends will be and we'll have a big party. There won't be no party in heaven. I mean in hell. You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. Well, anyway, this evangelist said, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Well, I raised my hand. He said, if you want to go to heaven... All you need to do is walk down the aisle in big church and we'll get you signed up on a card and we'll get you baptized and you'll get to go to heaven. And and I thought, at 11 years old, that was pretty good. I did what he said. I took his word for it. The only problem is I didn't get saved. All I did was get wet in the, ba- in the water in the baptistry. But I didn't get saved by the grace of God. And I didn't have the Holy Spirit come in. Later, thank God, later on in my life, in my later teen years, 
God, Holy Spirit, convicted my heart that I was lost and that I had never been saved. And when I realized that, I, I fought it for a little while, you know. I said, well, I'm just, I'm just feeling guilty because I know I got sin in my life. I'm just feeling guilty because I'm not as close to God as I need to be. I'm just feeling guilty, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let up. And finally I said, okay, God, I'm going down that aisle. I'm going to confess you because I don't, I don't, I'm not saved. Man, I went down that aisle with a burden on my shoulders. I felt like it was the whole world on my shoulders. And when I confessed Christ and got up, that weight was gone. When I went down there, I was ashamed. But when I got up, I was pure and I was clean and I was holy. God had forgiven me and God had saved me. And when I went down there, before I went down that aisle, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. But when I got up from praying and asking Jesus to save me, the Holy Spirit came into my heart, into my life. And I've never had a time that I don't know that the Holy Spirit is with me. Doesn't mean I'm good all the time. Doesn't mean I've been perfect all the time. It just means that he's always there and God's always working in me. And that's what he does when you get saved. The Bible says that you get the Holy Spirit as the seal of your salvation. That means that there's more to come, but right now that's what we get, the Holy Spirit. And so God, just like the prodigal son, needed to go home, get his heart right with the Father. So God has sent his son Jesus Christ to us so that we could know how to be right with God. He sent him so we know that he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent Jesus to us to show us how much that love was, how great it was. And all God is doing today is trying to call people to come home and get right with God. There's a lady named Maria whose husband died not long, not long after she had given birth to a daughter named Christina. After that, she was responsible for her daughter and the welfare of her family. She expected when Christina was old enough that she would start helping out, carrying some of the load for the family. But Christina became enamored with big city life. She wanted to go to the big city and have a, have a good time, just like the prodigal son. And so one day Maria woke up and Christina was gone. She had packed her bags and she had left. And Maria determined that she was going to go to the city and find her daughter. She didn't have a lot of money or connections, but what she did was went to a photo booth and she took a lot of pictures of herself. And then she went all over town and posted those pictures up on poles and telephone poles in different places. One day Maria had kind of reached the end of her rope, much like the prodigal son. The fun was gone. The money was gone. She walked out of a hotel and she saw a picture on the post and she thought, that looks like my mother. She went over and pulled the picture down and sure enough it was her mother. And she turned it over and on the back it said, Christina, wherever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. I love you. Come home. And right then, Christina did just that. She went home. The Bible tells us that God did the same thing. 
Jesus Christ, it tells us in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus Christ is the exact image of God. And God nailed him to a tree so that we would know that he loves us. And he, sa he says to us, if you're lost, look to the cross and come home. Look to the cross where the, the blood of Christ was shed for your sins so that you could receive forgiveness and new life through Jesus. Come home. And that's the invitation today. Come home. That prodigal son, he didn't have to clean himself up. He just had to change the, the desire of his heart. When he left home, he didn't want anything to do with his father. When he came home, he's like, hey, I just want to be a servant. And that's what God's saying to you today. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to change yourself. Just come like you are and receive mercy from your heavenly Father. Would you all bow your heads with me? Father, have your way during this time of invitation, Lord. If there's some here who need to come and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've never done that. And they need to come and, and just cry out to you and say, Lord, I don't deserve it, but I want to come home. I want to be your child. Or they can do that because of what Christ did for them. And Lord, there may be Christians here who have kind of, they're still in church, they're still doing things for you, but Lord, the attitudes of their heart are not what they ought to be. And they need to come and repent and confess it and ask for your forgiveness. Father, have your way in each of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.